Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I hope you want to make friends of us trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I have finally figured it out. It took me a little while, but I figured it out. This market is like a needy little baby. Not a cute baby. The other kind of baby. I love my kids, but I especially love them now that they're adults. This market is not an adult. It's a wailing, crying infant. And even when it gets its own way, as it did this morning, it's never content. So after a day where the averages seesawed up and down, a classic pastime for small children, with the Dow ultimately slipping 121 points, doesn't beat the climbing 0.32%, NASDAQ shedding 0.34%. What does this darn baby want? What's the pacifier that will prevent it from throwing a tantrum and smashing your stocks? First, let me just say, this ain't no ordinary baby. It's more like a bear cub. And it can't be separated from its mommy. There's only one thing that could be the stock could be the stock market's mommy. That's the larger, more important bond market. Whenever long-term bond yields go down, the cub cries because plummeting bond yields are viewed as a sign that the economy is slowing. And for a baby, that's pretty good logic. Historically, interest rates do go down when we're headed into a recession. It doesn't matter how many times we demonstrate that the U.S. economy is doing just fine. It doesn't matter if the big retailers or the low-end home builders or talented CEOs like Kevin Johnson from Starbucks tell us that business is good. This little cub keeps howling that a recession is inevitable, but howls a lot louder when you take away its pacifier. (laughs) Just look at what happened today. This morning, stocks opened strong because the bond market was calm. However, it didn't take long for money to come pouring into U.S. Treasuries from overseas because our rates are still much higher than anything else you can get in the developed world. Sure, the 30-year now yields less than 2%, but that's roughly two percentage points better than what Germany is paying. All that foreign money, well, let's say the buying has created an inverted yield curve, where short-term rates are higher than long-term ones. Historically, that is a very, very bad omen, but I think it's an anomaly. This time, at least, caused by the fact that our rates are so out of step with the rest of the world. Unfortunately, babies do not understand anomalies. They do not understand the kind of lockstep linkage that says you sell stocks whenever the yield curve inverts. That's what dominates the action now. And I think it will turn out just like the last important linkage, which was oil. You were supposed to sell stocks whenever the price of crude went down because it could be signaling that there's something wrong with the economy. Well, how'd that work for you? 
badly. It turns out that there was no meaningful correlation. Oil wasn't going down because there was less demand, courtesy of a weaker economy. It went down because there was too much supply, like the United States selling another two million barrels in the market and believing another million's coming. In reality, lower oil was great for the companies of companies, earnings of companies that consume crude, which, by the way, is almost all of them. Then when oil prices started recovering, that was wasn't a bullish signal. It was a bearish signal. It meant we might have some inflation, which then gave the Fed cover to tighten and tighten and tighten some more, which it did. And now we find ourselves in this fix. After this market stopped playing with oil, we got a new linkage. It was the dollar. So brilliant. Every time the dollar went up, the averages went down. The dollar linkage made more sense. The linkage made some at least more sense than the other. I mean, a strong currency really does hurt American companies who sell lots of stuff overseas, although it's very good for American companies that rely on imports. But the algorithmic traders took over and decided the dollar was the key to the whole market. So they banged stocks down whenever the dollar rallied. Again, though, the dollar wasn't the key to anything. The correlation? Bogus. We got used to companies reporting their earnings on a constant currency basis, uh, what would they would have made uh, without foreign exchange fluctuations, and pretty much started ignoring it. In fact, companies with sales overseas that got translated back to dollars were some of the market's best performers. If you sold stocks like McDonald's or Procter & Gamble because of the dollar, you missed out on some phenomenal moves. Now the market, like, it's not fixated on the dollar anymore. It's not fixated on oil anymore. It's just fixated on the yield curve, some kind of crystal ball. Crystal ball that's predicting a recession. But we already have plenty of stocks that are trading like we're headed into a serious slowdown, namely the industrials. Most are down huge from their highs, including the more cyclical tech stocks that need a healthy economy to thrive. So how do we pacify this wailing bear cub? As far as the baby's concerned, the only thing that will make this recession thesis go away is a trade deal. She's not impressed by the strong labor market. Employment is often a lagging indicator. She knows from last week's Fed meeting that the Fed seems pretty oblivious. She doesn't care about the newfound strength in Texas or the Southeast. For this baby, it's trade deal or bust. And that's a real shame because I don't see the trade war with China ending anytime soon. President Trump wants American manufacturers out of the People's Republic. We spoke to Brian Goldner. He's the CEO of Hasbro this very morning. And he told us he's aggressively moving his toy making out of China since Trump started rolling out these tariffs. But Goldner also made it clear that Hasbro has an asset light business model, meaning they don't own the plants, so they're free to quickly move production. Not many manufacturers are like that. And I think the White House underestimates how hard it will be for these companies to pull up stakes. For now, Trump appears to have the upper hand. We import from them far more than they import from us, so it stands to reason. And we know the Chinese are struggling, so he's got no incentive to deal. But what happens if we get a recession? Then we need to talk about politics, which I hate. With the recession, you're likely to have a Democrat in the White House come 2021. The only question is, which Democrat? Whatever your own views, the stock market prefers someone like Joe Biden, who's not really going to rock the boat. But what about the less business-friendly candidates like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren? If you want to understand their impact on the market, well, I got a way to do it. You know, I like to get things. I, I like metaphors of stocks. I like Humana. I like Humana as a metaphor for this moment. The health insurance company will be public enemy number one in the Sanders or Warren White House. They want single payer. No room for private insurance. So Humana is going to get clubbed. They'll be hit the hardest when the yield curve inverts, because if we get a recession, it dramatically raises the likelihood of a Sanders administration. For the moment, that's all this market seems to care about. So why even bother to own stocks? You're a good question. Why deal with a shrieking baby? Excellent question. Because, like the dollar linkage, 
the oil linkage. I think the yield curve linkage is wrong. The lower our interest rates go, the better it is for the consumer because people can borrow more cheaply. I think this will be a huge boon, especially to housing. Lower rates are like oil. As long as you're not forecasting recession, they're great for the economy. Who doesn't want a 3% mortgage? Still, the market can stay wrong longer than you can stay solvent. If I'm right, when will you know it? That's the hardest question because we need to see an acceleration in hiring, an acceleration in workforce participation, and ideally some huge infrastructure spending from the government, although politically I think that's very unlikely. Bottom line. Until we get some tangible signs that the economy is picking up, you're going to have to get used to the screams of this needy bear cub of a market. But I have to urge you to stay the course, because like oil, like the dollar, I do believe the linkage will be exposed as faulty, and stocks will remain the best investments. Andrew in North Carolina. Andrew! Hey, Jim, a big North Kakalaki. Booyah to you and yours. I'm liking that immediately. What's going on? Not much. First, uh, I wanted to say thank you for uh, advocating to everybody to keep their head on straight during the uh, market ups and downs. Thank uh, you. Thank that, you. Yes, sir. And I can't see just a question. I've, I've heard you talk a lot in the past about Wendy's yes. uh, and how it's good chart, good chart and dividend make it one of your favorite growth stocks. I just wanted to see what you thought about Wendy's actually going up during this most re- recent uh, 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 market Wendy's turmoil. has been a star. <laughs> Wendy's has been a star. Because they are out executing so many different companies. I think it's a terrific company. I've been behind it now for, I don't know, let's see. Hey, I would say 16 points, and I'm staying behind it. I think there's more to Wendy's. Let's go to Kyle in Kansas. Kyle. Hey, Jim. Booyah and uh, Rock Shock Jayhawk. Okay. My question is about uh, big bank stocks uh, with increasingly inverted yield curve, global economic slowdown and the possibility that profit margins for banks are going to decrease, should I stay away from big bank stocks like Bank of America? Okay, here's the problem. I think that the bank situation is much better than people realize, but it won't matter until they report. And until they report, I think they are just going to go down. Because all anybody looks at is they look at the yield curve and they've decided that's all that matters for Bank of America and all the rest of them. So even though I think Bank of America is incredibly cheap, I got to tell you, I do not want you in. So I'm going to say, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. Oh, is that painful? Because I like the company so much. All right. This market will continue to be needy for quite some time. But try to stay strong. I think stocks will remain the best investments. All Man Money tonight has Splunk lost its spunk. The stock's been down as of late. But is it a buying opportunity? I'm getting to the bottom of this one with the CEO. Then 17 of the last 21 years, stocks have rallied, get this, rallied prior to Labor Day. 17 out of 21. What are the charge forecasting this time? I'll break it down when we tackle the technicals. And it's the world's largest packaged foods company that can offer a real read on the consumer and is real sustainable. Do not miss my sit-down with Nestle. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. 
CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC. All right, what the heck is going on with some of these cloud stocks? Well, a couple of them managed to rebound after the market-wide beatdown over the summer. Others are really struggling here. Many I like. Just look at Splunk, which makes analytics software that helps businesses harness their machine data. Last week, Splunk reported a quarter that looked fabulous on the surface. They posted an 18-cent earnings beat off of a 12-cent basis, higher than expected sales, up 33% year-over-year. Their full-year forecast very strong. Initially, the stock rallied hard in after hours. Then investors started zeroing in on this one fly in the ointment. Splunk slashed their cash flow guidance. Instead of $250 million, they're talking about negative $300 million. Freaked people out. Stock uh, cratered, falling from 128 to 118 in a single session. And then it's continued to sink. You know what? I think the sellers may be making a mistake here. Splunk is taking this cash flow hit because they're switching to a new model. Rather than selling perpetual licenses, they're doing rateable billing. And, you know, that... It changes the way you have to think of the company. It means the company takes a hit up front, but over time they should make a lot more money as one-time payments turn into recurring revenue. Now, we've seen this happen with companies like Adobe. It could be happening with Splunk right now. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Doug Merritt. He's the president and CEO of Splunk. Get a better sense of how this company's really doing and where it's headed. Mr. Merritt, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Doug. Good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you, too. I want to clear some things up because I think uh, there are changes in the way you report. I think that people saw a cash flow uh, from profit to loss and just said, maybe we are misjudging. Maybe Splunk's slowing. Uh, That's not true, right? That's not true. Um, We signaled a year and a half ago at our analyst day that we were moving from less than 50% ratable term or cloud to our target was 85% by the end of next year. And we have overperformed on that transition. Um, We ended last year in excess of 80% renewable contracts, term and cloud, um, and still held an 85% target for the end of this year and ahead of where we had signaled in our three-year outlook. And what we saw over Q1 and Q2 is customers, as we were moving into a renewable model, um, where you can still use the software on-prem under a term contract or will serve you from the cloud, that they really wanted, didn't want PERP. They wanted PERP to go away, right. perpetual to go away. So, uh, and we, ratable, we have to divide it. So it doesn't look like it's not the cash flow. It, there is no diminution of cash flow. There is no. It's, it's just a timing issue. Right. Instead of in a perpetual model, you obviously get, it up. You get the software, you own it, right. and you bill for the entire amount, as you should. Oh. Um, if I sign a three-year gym membership, I'm mm-hmm. not paying all three years that gym membership up front. Right. I'm going to pay monthly or maybe annually right. if they give me a discount. So all we're doing is conforming to what the cloud native cloud companies already do. And I license a three-year uh, Salesforce or Workday or right. ServiceNow contract when we're customers of all of them. We do multi-years. We get visibility on the costs, and then we pay them annually for their service. Right. You do great analytics and do great security. Is it possible that there's been, uh, I don't know, uh, Salesforce buying Tableau, uh, other companies we saw New Relic not have that good a quarter? Or, uh, have things gotten too competitive? Is that something that may be causing some selling? Well, ironically, we raised guidance in the call. Uh, so now we're forecasting a $2.3 billion a year in January 31st, which is the end of our FY20. 
Um, at that rate, uh, we will become one of less than 10 companies in the history of enterprise software, the history of enterprise software, to hit two-plus billion while growing in excess of 25%. So I, when I look at the business, we have moved from a single product, Splunk right. Enterprise, to now 10 different products that complement Splunk Enterprise um, and transition the entire business from a largely perpetual business to a term and cloud business. And that, and that only happens if customers like what you have and are right. leaning in on the core product. Right. So. I'm glad we cleared that up because it's bugging the heck out of me because everything that you're doing is exactly what Adobe did. And, you know, Shantan and Ryan sat here and said, listen, there's, things are good. And no one believed. And then you caught a quadruple. Okay, let's talk about DoorDash. I use them at our, our restaurants that I own. Uh, DoorDash is the biggest. They could pick anybody. Why did DoorDash pick you? And what are they doing for me that I don't even know about? <laughs> Yeah, it's an absolute great company. We're all so reliant on it now. Um, So like so many different companies, they've got this beautiful, completely online environment. And it's a very, very complex environment. They need instrumentation on what's happening on a moment-by-moment basis so that my order doesn't get lost. Right. Um, So they can monitor everything from delivery times to quality of ratings from different consumers. Um, So we're helping them with everything from classic IT resiliency, engineering efficiency, cybersecurity visibility and resiliency, and then business analytics across the business. So it's a true, as we talked about in past shows, a true data platform story for DoorDash. And you are a competitive advantage for them because that's all that they have. All those things you just described, they have to go right. They have to go right. They have to go right. That's the, the hard part about Splunk. The, the good and hard part is we tend to be mission critical. Okay. Um, when you're ingesting terabytes or even petabytes of data per day, you've got that, that usually is a mission critical system, and you have to have reliable visibility right. across that data. And now you have a relationship with the company I work for, for Comcast. Yep. Absolutely. And they're, they're how long-term customer. And what would they do in terms of mission critical? And a very similar set of use cases. Started back in IT and IT resiliency. Right. So all the systems that you use every day, your PC stays up, your email is working. Moved into cybersecurity because the, that's really just a flip coin right. of, of the IT. Um, and then started moving into different business processes. Um, set-top box monitoring to mm-hmm. make sure that my Xfinity service that I love oh, that's so much, okay. that it actually is up. Is up. And, and, and then began a transition to how do we uh, get better understanding of, of overall consumer flows. What are the business processes across this large, large, expansive uh, estate so that we can get a better feel for uh, customer engagement and conversion rates? And so we wind up usually with a small use case back for a technical buyer. And then if we do our job right, then they understand the value of Splunk and we help them with that. We drift across the company with a whole multitude of use cases. Same thing with, with a company that I like very much is just came up with Slack. Yes. With. Yeah, great company. We are very reliant on Slack. They're right. a communications backbone across the company. And um, we're back in their cyber center right now, making sure that that service is secure. Really important to me, Stuart and company. Right. Uh, all of our critical data is there. So the cyber resiliency is key. And uh, you know, we'll continue to work with them to see where else we can add value across well, that company. Well, you're an elite group, Microsoft, Oracle, Salesforce, VMware, and Workday with some of the others that have been $2 billion in revenue, attaining growth at 25%. So congratulations. Well, thank you. We've got a few more months to get there, but really proud to be part of this data revolution and, and helping organizations get real-time decision-making. Excellent. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. So great you're here. That's thank Doug you. Merritt, President and CEO of Splunk, one of our cloud kings. I know I feel better about it. It was confusing conference call, but not confusing guidance raised. Man, money's back in for break. How 
we supposed to get our bearings in what obviously is a constantly seesawing stock market, like I said at the top of the show? Now, do we stare at the action in the bonds, hoping it will somehow give us a glimpse of the future? Do we watch the White House like a hawk, deciphering every presidential tweet for clues about what's next in the trade war? Maybe we parse the estate-published Chinese newspapers for hints as to whether the Communist Party is ready to make a deal? I don't know. How about we take a step back instead? How about we, we think this is maybe the kind of situation where you need to put your emotions in check? And nothing makes people more emotional than armchair political analysis, which I hate. We need to take a more objective, more empirical approach, something that's not going to devolve into a he said, she said. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of legendary, legendary chartist Larry Williams. He's a technician who's been trading futures, commodities and stocks for almost as long as I've been alive. I've said this before, but it is worth repeating. Williams is a near mythical figure in this industry. He's written almost a dozen books. He's got his own website. IReallyTrade.com is what it's called. IReallyTrade.com. And he's created a slew of technical indicators, many of which are named after him. For example, how many times have we used the Williams percentage R oscillator? That's him. And when Williams looks at the topsy-turvy market, he doesn't see a disaster waiting to happen. He doesn't. He doesn't see a need to reason a panic or sell out of this market. He's not waiting for the other shoe to drop. No, Williams says you should buy Buy right now, right here. He thinks the averages have either already bottomed or they are about to bottom, at least for the moment. Yep, he's bullish. What a godsend. All right, what does that confidence come from? All right, for starters, take a look at this chart, which shows you a forecast based on the advanced decline line, a technical tool that measures the market's breadth. In plain English, the advanced decline line counts the sum, net sum of advancing stocks minus declining stocks, the number of stocks that go up versus the number that go down on any given day. And it's cumulative. You can see it in black, okay? So when more names than the New York Stock Exchange go up than go down, the advanced decline line rises. Williams likes to rely on this tool because it's more stable with fewer wild gyrations than you see if you're only looking at the prices of the major averages. Based on the action in the advanced decline, it's the black one, okay, Williams sees a cycle of rallies and sell-offs that seem to repeat itself. This chart goes back a year. And you can see that the forecast, the red line, tends to move in tandem with the actual advanced decline indicator, although it's more exaggerated. Keep in mind, these cycles track the direction of a given move, but not its magnitude. They help predict when something will go up or down, just not by how much. You can see where we are, okay? When you project that cycle out, it suggests that the market should rally from here, right here, through the end of September, hopefully. Okay, Uh, with another big decline coming in October. Uh, But if this pattern holds true, William says you're going to want to buy again at the end of October right here. Okay, Uh, looking at another major run as we head into the end of the year. And that's just one bullish forecast out of many. Check out this chart of the, C- of the CBOE volatility index. That's the VIX for short, going back to February. You know, we love the VIX, also known as the fear gauge, because it's such a fabulous reflection of the overall level of panic in the stock market. As I told you before, the VIX and the S&P 500 tend to move in opposite directions. When the S&P rises, the VIX falls. And when the S&P falls, the VIX rises. It's a pretty ironclad correlation. and only breaks down when the market's about to make a major reversal. So Williams is on the hunt for times when traders are more fearful, more emotional as measured by the VIX. He thinks there's a cycle involved. And you can see this cycle in red on the chart. Okay. So far this year, it's been a pretty good indicator. It captures the swings in the volatility index. If you can predict the action in the VIX, 
That's a terrific tool for calling tops and bottoms the SP 500. What happens when Williams projects that volatility cycle forward? Well, you get a big spike in the VIX right about now. Okay, right about now, which coincides with the recent market-wide turmoil. But then he sees a big fall off in volatility. Okay, remember when the VIX goes down, the stock market goes up. So this volatility cycle suggests it's time for the S&P to rally again. Really good indicator. And likely through the end of September, that'd be a nice run. That's why Williams thinks it's highly unlikely stocks will go much lower. The volatility cycle has run its course. So now is the time to buy right into Labor Day. Finally, there's the chart of the E-mini S&P 500 futures, which track very closely with the underlying index. When you look back at the over the past 10 months, Williams sees a very dominant 80-day cycle that keeps repeating here. And when you project it forward, the red line again, you see we're poised for a potentially major rally, or at least an extended move higher. Remember, these cycles don't tell you how big the move will be. They just tell you when a rally or a decline is likely to take place. Put all together, Williams has three different bullish forecasts here, from the advanced decline, the volatility index, and the actual S&P 500 itself. They're all pointing to a market that's done going down and ready to rally, at least for the next month. The bottom line, the charts, as interpreted by the legendary Larry Williams, suggest that it's time to stop panicking, stop complaining, and start buying. He thinks the cycle of fear and negativity has finally run its course. So if the averages haven't bottomed already, they're going to bottom very soon. And that's why Williams says you need to be a buyer here, just as long as you're ready to ring the register on part of your position a month from now when these cycles may turn against you. My view, I think you need to take his bullish perspective seriously in this environment where so many professionals seem committed to mindlessly sowing fear. And I never, I mean, Pete, never like to bet against Larry Williams. Let's go to Mark in Pennsylvania. Mark. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, With Mark. the recent volatility in the market, is Wheaton Metals, WPM, a good investment, given they have exposure to gold and silver? Um, I like, uh, there's two I like. I like Barrick, and I like Agnico, uh, and I'm not going to deviate. Those are the two that I want. Let's go to Rick in Illinois, please. Rick. Hi, Jim. I've been a longtime member of Action Alerts Plus. Oh, great. I really appreciate your guidance in the volatile markets we're in. Thank you. Going along with your recent theme to try and find good quality paying dividend companies, a while back you had the CEO of Apple Hospitality Read on your show. I recently listened to their conference call and was impressed with the fact that their portfolio consists of over 200 U.S.-based Marriott and Hilton hotels. And in addition to that, they pay a dividend monthly of almost 7%. So with gas prices and interest rates relatively low and consumer confidence high, it seems like hospitality companies should do well in this type of environment. I have to think that's a good idea. We did have them on. I didn't like it. I'm going to look. Uh, uh, ben Stoddard and I have been working on trying to find out which dividends are safe, which uh, returns could be safe. Uh, and I've got to tell you, I've got to do more work. But I think that this is a very compelling idea if it checks out. 7.7% yield is a pretty nice yield. All right. Our chartist says it, it's time to stop panicking and start buying. I'm not wanting to go against legendary Larry Williams. There's much more made money at. Instead, including my exclusive with Nestle, is the company in the sweet spot when it comes to packaged food space. I'm going to talk to CEO. Then, how much emotion is in this market? Take one look at my Twitter account to find out. I'll tell you why it's time to check the feelings at the door. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's decision of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Whether going bottoms up, 
or breaking off a piece of something sweet. Consumers have always turned to Nestle. But with a variety of brands filling every shelf in the pantry, can this stock follow food's modern trends and give investors something to sink their teeth into? With so many investors worried about worldwide slowdown, talked about it right at the top of the show, they're taking shelter in classic slowdown stocks. What is the strength in the stock of Nestle? That's the Swiss food and beverage colossus we've liked so much. There's nothing super sexy about Nestle. It's your classic slow and steady packaged food company with a high-quality portfolio of brands. Perrier, Poland Spring, Pellegrino, Kit Kat Bars, Nespresso Coffee, my favorite, Haagen-Dazs, too fattening for me, Lean Cuisine, Hot Pockets, and all sorts of dog food from Purina to Fancy Feast that we use at home. Yet the stock is up roughly 37% for the year, seemingly setting new highs every day. It's trading like a tech stock, not a $31 billion, $331 billion pitch, but $331 billion. People don't realize how big this company is, and the strength is more than just rotation. When that's reported last month, they delivered an excellent quarter, a stark contrast, by the way, to what we saw from J.M. Smucker today, which disappointed big time, even though it's many of the same businesses. In other words, this is not just a slowdown stock. It's a slowdown stock with terrific execution. Can it keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Mark Schneider, the CEO of Nestle, who's doing such a great job. Get a closer read of what his company's up to. Mr. Schneider, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Mark. Good to see you. Good to see you. To see you. How are you? All right. Thank you. We had Kevin Johnson on yesterday, and you know, welcome to Starbucks. And all he could do is talk about how great this partnership's working. There are very few win-wins. This one is a win-win, and the numbers are spectacular, and we're early innings, right? It is a win-win. I think you're absolutely right. Um, this is the first year anniversary now of the closing of that deal. In that year, we accomplished a lot. Uh, we took only six months to introduce uh, the first wave of 24 products. We're now out in 16 markets. We're starting a second wave of launches uh, this fall, um, covering most European markets. So, and we have an exciting pipeline for the future. And I noticed yesterday in the interview how much you liked uh, his um, you oh, know, my, product here, the pumpkin spice. And right. so we also have that. We just recently announced it for uh, home use. Now, people have to understand, that this is a category that used to be you know, maybe 1%, 2%. You're growing mid-single dishes for this stuff. And I think it just shows, first of all, people like the strength of the Starbucks brand name. Right. They like that this name stands for absolute quality in coffee. It also stands for wonderful sustainability. This is something that resonates strongly with right. us. And then, of course, with us, you get superb execution and you get that presence on the ground. We are having feet on the ground in 190 markets, so we can right. do a lot for a partner like Starbucks. All right, let's go back to sustainability. We care about impact per share, and we want to know when people say sustainability, what do they mean, and let's see it. Absolutely, and uh, one of our big themes is recycling. Okay. And, um, so, I mean, what you see here is our classic Nespresso aluminum coffee capsule, and that will typically have a second life, and that could be, for example, an aluminum pin, or it could be the aluminum bike behind you. So there's lots of uses where aluminum can have a useful second life for consumers, and uh, we have been a pioneer in, in recycling schemes for aluminum. We're terrible about recycling in America. How can you get the word out that we should start getting better? We make it easy for you as consumers, so when you order that product, there's a prepaid UPS bag oh, really? with it, and so you just return the used capsules, and then we do the rest. That is so smart. That's a great idea. Now, you guys do more than just food. There's a, you do healthcare, and there's a thing that, you know, I, I lost my mom to cancer, and I wish that we had COPES. This COPES program yes. is so extraordinary. How did you think of it, and what does it mean for the company? Yeah, so, I mean, this resonates very strongly with me in my prior career in healthcare. Right. I know that for cancer patients, it's not only about the medication, it's also about a proper nutritional status. 
I also know that cancer patients, you know, they get a lot of conflicting advice from experts in pulling it all together and having one network that online sort of gets you in touch with an expert when you need it and gives you the right sort of nutritional advice. Um, th there's a real high medical need for that. We started to roll this out this spring. It really catches on very nicely in the market. And it just shows that we're not just interested in selling the product alone. Right. What we want to do is sell the solution. Okay, so what happens? Do people say, you know what, this Nestle is a caring company. When I'm uh, faced in a supermarket with one product versus another, I want to do Nestle's because I think they're caring? Well, I mean, we speak through our brands. Okay. And so different brands stand for different things. Right. And, um, you know, those brands have to be convincing. Some say Nestle on it, others don't. But I think all of them have a definite purpose, and everything needs to be consistent with that brand purpose. All right. Well, thinking of that, uh, plant-based, you mentioned the incredible burger, uh, but you kind of just dropped it in the conference call. Where are we? Look, plant-based is a major, major theme for us. Okay. And it's not only about meat analogs, it's also about dairy. So think about ice cream. Think I about love your dairy. Absolutely. Your plant-based products and creamers are the best. And uh, that's a key theme because at the end of the day, it usually has a better nutritional profile for mm -hmm. consumers, and it also has a better environmental footprint. So right for you, right for the planet, that's a big theme for us. On the burgers... We have it out in Europe. We're doing really well. We're launching the awesome burger in the United States uh, in September. So we're a few weeks away from that, and uh, it's going to be great. What I want to do with the awesome burger is go to where a chef to a restaurant and have it made. So it's not just me putting it on a grill, because I think that you need more than that. You're absolutely right. The burger is, an, is, is a classic out-of-home product. So right. you want to be able to buy it at retail, but you also want to be able to have it at a restaurant. And one of the things I wanted to suggest to you is why not have a side-by-side Great plant-based burger shootout of Done. 2019. Half, you know, the products prepared the same way. And then you're willing to you're well. willing to stake your reputation. This we're, is a remember. There's no accounting for taste. We're willing to compete. All right. One last thing. I know that you had some uh, some expenses in water last year that related to transport and packaging. Have those come down at all? So the margins are getting better. So on margins, we have improved a lot. Good. In packaging, uh, we have established an Institute of Packaging Sciences because we noticed a what? an Institute of Packaging Sciences, we are the Is first food and beverage company. It's in Switzerland. It'll develop better materials for packaging. But, of course, you know, they will eventually come to this country, too. Oh. Because packaging is a big theme. When you are serious about sustainability, you have to look into better solutions all the time. We did not want to be a passenger to what the packaging industry is right. dishing up. We wanted to do our <laughs> own thing. That is so smart. The packaging industry is woeful. They are all big talk, no cattle. I mean, they're big hat, no cattle. I have dealt with these people, and they really just talk it. They're not doing it. They're not doing this. One thing we realized, it's our name that's on the product. Right. Hence, we want to be sure it's packaging material that we fully endorse and that we can stand behind. Something like this, Something which is like just this. incredibly important. Um, and I, I just think that the last thing um, that I do need to learn a little more, what percentage of the bike is this and how do we get one of these? So for the bike, this is a pilot program. We made a thousand of those. We'll think about, um, you know. But this is what we want for we'll holidays and for birthdays. So 40% of the capsules go into it. 60% needs to be a harder alloy to be sure it's really standing up as a bike. But this is an opportunity. You know, after the pilot is done, we'll think about scaling it up. You are for real. You were we're, we're trying hard. Thank we're you so hard much. That's Mark Schneider. He, he's the CEO of Nestle, which is a company that obviously cares tremendously about more than just good taste and food. Man, money's back after the break.
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Ron in Oregon. Ron. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Do you think I should add to my position in GlaxoSmithKline? I like GlaxoSmithKline. I think it's terrific. I think the MS Wamsley's doing a good job. Put money to work. Let's go to Gene in Indiana. Gene. Hi, Bullet to you. Nice to talk to you from the Hoosier State. Well, there you go. I love the Hoosiers. Good movie. What's up? Yes. Uh, I bought some stock uh, on my securities uh, proposal. Okay. I bought CenturyLink two years ago, 300 shares at $27. Oh. Today, see, you showed the stock as 11.59. Yeah, I, I probably I, I, should have sold sooner. Gene, now, I don't what like. I do. I don't. I didn't like it up there, and I don't like it here. And I think, yeah, it, it, you have to get rid of it. I really do. I'm sorry. Let's go to Reginald in Texas, please. Reginald. Hey, Jim. How's it going today? And howdy in a big Texas booyah to you. Done your way. What's going on? Uh, yeah, uh, Jim. I was calling today because I had a question about a particular stock that I have a small position in. Their ticker is P E G I. And they're Patterson Energy Group. Pattern Energy. I don't understand is, why it's doing so well. I mean, it's got a great yield. I'm trying to figure out whether it's connected at all with Pete, the problems of PG&E. We're going to have to get back to you on that stock. Let's get to uh, Oopti in Pennsylvania. Oopti. Yes. Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. And I just want to say I absolutely love your show. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. My question is about Health Catalyst, Inc., ticker symbol HCAC. A few weeks ago, you had said you wish you had recommended it at yes. $38. Yes. And I have been buying it in increments as it keeps pulling back. My question to you is, should I continue buying it or just hold for now? Wait for it to come down more uh, because that was our ultimate verdict. It is a very good company. That is a really good company. Let's go to Juan in Nevada, please. Juan. Hey, Jim. Booyah. 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 Hey there, I'm coming from Las Vegas, Nevada, home of the future Las Vegas Raiders and the Las Vegas Open Knights. I'm going to buy my hometown stock, Wynn Resorts. What do you think? What was the stock? Wynn Resorts. No, we're not ready. It's got too much China. Don't want to touch it. Way too much China. Let's go to Sri in North Carolina. Sri. Hey, Booyah, Jim. How are you doing today? Booyah. Hey, Jim. Um, I'm calling about... Um, uh, one of the cloud software stocks, which um, is uh, cloud-based uh, enterprise work management okay. software uh, companies, uh, it's called Upland Software. U P L D. I just don't know how whether they can distinguish themselves enough, and there are so many cloud companies now. They're all going down, good and bad. So I'm going to say, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. Joe in Connecticut, Joe. Hey Jim, a big booyah from the Constitution State. Uh, thank you for all you do for us. Oh, quite well, welcome. Really thank you. It. Thank you for saying Jim, I just, things. Uh, uh, you're, you're, you're the best. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on Aramark uh, in light of, uh, I just read about a, a, a Mantle Ridge taking up kind of a big stake in the company. Yeah, it's driven the stock up a great deal. That may be an interesting level to take some off the table. Let's go to Vince in Nebraska, please, Vince. Hey, booyah, Jimmy. How you Booyah. doing? All right. How about you? 
Good. Hey, Jimmy, I, uh, I'm looking at a stock more for a play than anything else. I okay. parlayed 225 into a 1.2 mil in my 25 years of investing. Well done. Red Robin Burger. Uh, Vintage Capital's got a position in them, and they're trying to get them on the board, I think, to sell. What do you think? Well, I don't know. There was a downgrade today that seemed pretty cogent. I didn't think that this was necessarily the level to, to be involved. I am not going to recommend it after reading that downgrade. It just seems like there's uh, hair on the story and don't want to go there. Let's go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark! Jim, the stock I have for you has had a pretty nice run the last 10, 11 months. My question is, should I ring the register and take the money and run? The name of the company is Enphase. Ooh, Enphase, recommended more than any other stock in my Twitter feed that there is. It's red hot, it's solar, uh, it's a very good company. Uh, but at the same time, let's be disciplined, disciplined. I was doing a podcast, you know, a show today about fantasy football. And I have to say, I said discipline trumps conviction. Discipline says that you have to ring the register on some of a very hot stock called Enphase. Hey, let's take another 10 calls. This time we're going to Joel in New York. Joel. Hey, what's up, Jim? Booyah. Booyah. Um, okay, um, I have a question. Yep, on Americold, the cold storage. So it looks like Wall Street's finally looking into the cold storage business. Yes, so it is. I wanted to know... The food distribution um, business, like- whether it be uh, Cisco, Americold, this is a realty trust. It's a, it's a read. I don't know, pretty attractive. We should be recommending some of these stocks. Well, our readers are viewers are so smart. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I've said it a million times. I'm going to say it again. If you plan on managing your own portfolio, you need to disentangle your investment decisions from your political beliefs. In politics, you've got your team. You want your team to win. That's fine. But the stock market doesn't care about your partisan affiliation. Trying to invest as a Democrat or Republican is a great way to lose money. I know so many conservatives who hated President Obama. They let that drive their decision-making, and they missed out on some huge gains. Now people on the other side of the spectrum are making the same mistake with President Trump. Your likes and dislikes are only going to lead you astray, people. Consider what happened yesterday when Trump said that he got two phone calls from the Chinese and that they want to make a deal, but then China immediately denied it while still making some conciliatory noises. First, you got to admit, I mean, (laughs) those calls were well-timed. If the calls happened, they were, let's say, perfect. Coming into Monday morning, it seemed like we were going to have a huge stock market decline. People didn't get to sell as much as they wanted to on Friday. So the setup was ugly, and things could have really gone off the rails. Then we hear about these calls, and the market comes roaring right back. Whether or not Trump was telling the truth, that was always going to be a positive for stocks, because it showed he was willing to talk rather than continue to ratcheting up tensions. Hey, you can hate Trump. You can root for a recession for all I care, so we'll get booted out of the office, out of office. But you can't let that color your approach to the stock market. You have to think about these events in terms of outcomes. Will it send stocks higher? Will it send stocks lower? The event, that's one thing. The 
outcome is what we care about on mad money. By the same token, there's a widespread belief that the People's Republic of China is all powerful, that they play a long game, that their government can withstand any amount of pain so we can't possibly win the trade war. Now, for the past 40 years, the Communist Party has done a fantastic job of managing their economy. They put 400 million people to work. They absolutely played for keeps. But if you think the Chinese Communist Party is all powerful, how come they seemingly lost control of Hong Kong? It's one of the largest, most prosperous cities. Again, think outcomes. The long game doesn't matter. You think China will try to outlast Trump? I say good luck. Unless Biden wins the Democratic nomination, and I think he's pretty clearly lost a step, there's a good chance that the candidate will be even tougher on China than the current administration. They think President Trump is mad at them for stealing American jobs. Wait until they have to deal with President Warren, who's mad about the jobs and even madder about them despoiling the environment. That's why I'm generally confident that we're going to win the darn war. Although I have no idea how long it will drag on or how much collateral damage we might end up in the process. Let me make this very simple. Here on Mad Money, our only agenda is higher stock prices. Because you tend to own stocks. Think of me as a dollar sign represented by a man. So take it from someone who knows. You don't rack up big gains in the market by trying to judge politicians. You need to judge the outcomes. And in terms of outcomes, I've got to tell you, the character of the person in the Oval Office has very little to do with whether the market goes higher or lower. Totally separate question. Think of it like this. Warren G. Harden, not a great guy. But Harding was great for the stock market. Herbert Hoover, by all counts, a terrific guy. Terrible for the stock market. Jimmy Carter, good guy. Not so good for the stock market. Sometimes it lines up the other way. Nixon, bad guy. Side over bad market. But mostly, people, there's no correlation. Do me a favor. Don't try to invent one. Stick with Craig. After the Bell Autodesk reported bad numbers, sending again all the cloud stocks down. I like what Splunk had to say, but it's going to get hit by Autodesk. I have to tell you, Larry Williams' idea that maybe you should buy the market, it keeps resonating with me since I know a soul who likes this market and I know many people who hate it. Perhaps Larry Williams is on to something. Wouldn't be the first time. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Craver, and I'll see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.